0: Amen, Jesus changes everything and he's changing me. Uh, I grew up in a, in a home uh, in a Christian home. I think I have a picture here to show you uh, that's me in the little checkered suit um, sport you know my parents and my brother Dan with that really cool VW bug somewhere in Mexico City. Uh, but I grew up in that family that loved God and and talked about God. We had college students over to our apartment all the time and, and they had conversations about Jesus and I overheard that since I was a little baby, a toddler. I could repeat Bible verses. I had all that knowledge in my head uh, and and I, as I grew up, I you know, I, I would be at church because I didn't have a choice. My parents were there and I go to class and I cause trouble and I and get in trouble with the Sunday school teacher and and, uh, and I could really uh, recite memory verses. I knew that God loved us so much, that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us. I knew uh, the Bible verses. I knew the Bible stories. sometimes I would interrupt the Sunday school teacher and finish the story for her, uh, because I would just get an impatient that she wouldn't get to the main point. Uh, and, and then one day, at, at seven years old, seven years of age, I was sitting there in Sunday school class. My mom was a teacher. And she was telling the story of Jesus uh, and his dying on the cross. It was not the first time I heard it. I heard it many times. But that day, there was something different. I I had all this knowledge here in my head about Jesus. But that day, as my mother held this chart that had the picture of Jesus on the cross and, and the two thieves on either side, it was a gloomy picture. That day, something connected with my heart about this story that was so familiar to me. And for the first time in my seven years of life, I understood that I needed a savior. That even as a seven year old, I had sinned against God and that I needed forgiveness. For the first time in my life, I realized that all these stories and these stories that I have been hearing were not just stories about God and the world, but they were about me. That, that Jesus loved me me and he came to die for me and it was that day as my mother asked boys and girls in that Sunday school class who wanted to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord that I prayed a prayer saying I want Jesus I want you to be my Savior and Lord and I'll never forget that day it was the day I gave my life to Jesus it was the day that began to change everything now, I, I grew up, and I continued to have behavior problems at school. I continued to get in trouble. I continued to struggle with my identity. I continued to struggle with wanting to be accepted. I, I, I began to to hang out with different groups to see where I would fit in, knowing all along that Jesus was my Savior, that God loved me, that he forgiven my sins, but, but struggling in other areas of my life and And so when I was a teenager, at the age of 15, I I came full circle. And as I was trying to find acceptance, I was trying to fit in, I was reminded one evening as I talked to God that he had already accepted me, that I already fit in his family, in his plan. And I cried because there had been a struggle in my heart for that and i cried because i had been sometimes tempted to try other things that would replace jesus but jesus reminded me i'm your savior i'm your lord and i i remembered my faith i remembered my commitment and i decided that i was going to follow him and i'm so glad i made that decision i'm so glad that that god continued to work in my life since that moment i'm not perfect i've continued to have struggles but one thing i know is that jesus is my savior And I want him to be my Lord every day. And my question for you today is if you've ever come to the point in your life where you've prayed that prayer, if you've ever come to the point in your life where you have placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I'm not talking about knowing the stories, I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about going to the rituals that your religion required. I'm talking about the moment in your life where you realize that Jesus died for you, that you need a savior, that you need to place your trust in him. And so that way he comes and forgives you and makes you a new person. If you have, then you're going to, you know what I'm going to talk about today. You're going to relate to it. You're going to rejoice in it. If you haven't, then today may be the day that you need to make that commitment. Today may be the day that you take that step of faith to say yes to God, yes to Jesus, yes to forgiveness, yes to new life. And so we start a new series today. I'm so excited about that. It's called The Gospel Changes Everything. And we're going to talk for several Sundays about how the gospel changes every aspect of our lives. But today, we're going to talk about how the gospel changes any person. And if it changed me, I know that it can change you. So our text is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I invite you to go there. If you have your Bibles, your devices, you can look it up, or you can look at the screen. It will be there as well. And this is what the, the Bible says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. If you've been at Calvary before, then you know we always talk about this strategy, this five G's that, that we've implemented since last year. And, and the, the three G's that you're probably most familiar with as that we gather, that we grow, and then we go. And last Sunday we talked about grow and and I invited you, we, I, I preached a, a little brief sermon, and then we went over to the gym, and I, we gave you an opportunity to sign up for Grow Groups. And we had a lot of people come, a lot of people signed up for Grow Groups. We ran out of elote, we ran out of, you know, uh, smoothies, we ran out of all the things that we had except hot dogs. Uh, but we were happy to have you there, and we were so excited. But there are other two Gs that maybe you don't hear us talk about a lot. They're, they're in the core of our strategy, and they're the gospel and guide. And gospel is the very first one because everything we do, even the gather, the grow, and the go is based on the gospel. The gospel is first because it is foundational. It is about who we are, and it is about what we do. And, and so this gospel is what changes everything, This gospel is our reason for being on mission. This gospel is what drives our ministries. This gospel is what we base our lives on, what we build our lives on like we were singing a minute ago, building our lives on his love. That's that's, that's the gospel, is God's love revealed. And so this text that I just read today is about the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, I'm confident that this is a good thing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation. Do you know? Do you know that power? Do you know that gospel that brings salvation? Let's talk about it. The gospel changes, first of all, inability into power. The word gospel is from the old English, good spell. In that sense, it's good story or good news. So today, Uh, gospel literally means good news. But these good news of Jesus Christ stand in contrast to some very bad news. Something terrible happened at the beginning of human history. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful paradise where, where there were all kinds of trees and flowers and birds and animals It was the most beautiful place you could ever imagine. And God placed Adam and Eve there for them to enjoy, to take pleasure in God's creation, in God's provision. And God said, enjoy everything in this garden. You can eat from every tree except for one. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you will die. And then the serpent showed up. And the first thing that the serpent did is it, Called into question the veracity of what God had said. That's what the serpent does. In fact, it twists God's word. It says, Did God really say that you couldn't eat of any of the trees? You see what the serpent did that? God said you can eat every tree except for one. The serpent says, Did God really say you couldn't eat any tree uh, from any other trees? God focuses on our freedom on all the things that we can do, on all the things that he enables us to do, but the serpent focuses on the prohibition, what we can't do, what we might miss out on. And that's how deceiver works. Anyone who starts a sentence with, did God really say, is something that you should be aware of. Did God really say that you'll die? You're not really going to die. I don't really think that's what God meant. In fact, God is concerned that maybe you, if you eat of that tree, will become like him. You'll become like God's, knowing good and evil. And something stirred in Adam and Eve's heart, the curiosity of what it might be like to be like God, this questioning of God's word. Maybe, maybe, Maybe God is not trustworthy. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And it seems like they didn't die, at least not immediately, at least not physically, but something died. Something died that day. Something died inside of them. Something died to the extent that they felt guilt and shame and they, they hid from, from the creator with whom they had had full fellowship before. They died Spiritually. In fact, not just Adam and Eve died spiritually on that day, but all of creation suffered. All of creation, because of this lack of faith, began to decay. This, this created order that was spoken into being by God's word, when God's word was called into question, began a process of decay. This, this whole world, this whole humanity that is sustained by the very word of God, when, when God's word is not trusted, it sets itself on a road to brokenness and destruction, and that's bad news. And because of the fall, because of what happened there, humanity became unable. Humans became unable to be pure, unable to be holy, unable to be innocent, unable to, to relate to their creator like they had before. It, the fall brought about inability to us. On our own, you and I are unable to break the chains that bind us, to break the habits that enslave us. On our own, we're unable to remove our guilt and our shame. On our own, we're unable to live to our fullest capacity for the design that God made us. That's bad news. But the gospel is good news. It's the good news that because of Christ, our inability can be changed into power. A power that changes our condition, that changes us from the inside out. The gospel is the power of God that brings about salvation. It is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. The death of Jesus conquered sin but his resurrection from the grave established that our, our death sentence is finished, that, that he has conquered death, that he has turned the grave into a garden. We sang about that. Another garden, a new garden, a new beginning, a new possibility. The gospel is the power of God that makes that possible it's the power of god that that paul experienced paul that that zealous pharisee who was so committed to his religion to judaism and to his god that he persecuted christians he he dragged them to jail he stood there as stephen confessed his faith in jesus christ as as lord and 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 he took care of the coats of those who were stoning him to death. It was the passion of Paul to finish with Christianity. One day, Paul was on the road to Damascus to continue this persecution, and the resurrected Lord appeared to him, and something changed. Paul's heart changed. Paul's mind changed. Paul's life changed, Paul's trajectory changed, the gospel changed. Paul, it is the power of God that brought salvation to him and even through him to others. The gospel can change your inability to power. Have you experienced that power? Have you come to the point in your life where you say, this self-improvement thing is not working. I'm trying to change myself. But every time I try, I fail. I really need to trade my inability for some power, some power that changes me. Secondly, the gospel changes brokenness into wholeness. I was talking to a man uh, this week who uh, is sick, and in the conversation, he was lamenting. He was lamenting in his words that he came to the gospel late. He said, I'm, I'm so sorry that I came to the gospel late because I feel like I wasn't the father that I was supposed to be. And I wasn't the husband that I should have been. And it hurts me because my brokenness transferred to, to brokenness in my family and my children and, and he was acknowledging how, how that brokenness was a reality for him. But, but the good news of the gospel is, is that in his brokenness, when, when Christ came to his life, he made him whole. He took the pieces and made him whole. And that's the good news of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation. Now, we use that word in church a lot, salvation. We use it so much that sometimes we don't stop to think about what it means. What does salvation mean? For the Hebrew mindset, salvation had to do with with preservation, with peace, with health. It's not unlike the concept of shalom. Shalom is peace that comes because of wholeness. That's what the Hebrew mind understood with salvation. The Greek mind, on the other side, thinks of salvation as deliverance, as redemption, as as rescuing from, from something evil or something dangerous. So when the word salvation is used here, it has all of those senses. It's the sense of deliverance and the sense of wholeness, of restoring what is broken, what was broken in the Garden of Eden. Sin brought brokenness to the human experience. Sin thwarted God's design and purpose for us, for which he created us. It introduced pain, limitation, and death in every sense, a lack of harmony, enmity and evil and hate and all of that. Christ was broken at the cross so that we could be made whole. Jesus died and rose again so that he can open up the way for us to trade our brokenness for wholeness, to bring the pieces of our lives to him so that he can put them back together. Wherever there's guilt and shame, the gospel brings forgiveness and confidence. Wherever there's a broken relationship with God, the gospel brings reconciliation. Wherever there's a broken heart, the gospel brings healing and restoration. Whatever is broken, God could make whole. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's no place where his grace can't find you. Salvation is God's work to restore humanity to His original design. That's that's what salvation is, is restoring the way God meant things to be back in the beginning. And one day, God will restore everything to wholeness. One day, we'll be completely free from the presence and the power of sin. One day, we won't have to deal with evil. One day, we won't have to deal with temptation. One day we won't have to, to deal with the consequences or the pain of, of our mistakes. One day we will be made whole. One day we'll be in a paradise in the garden that's more beautiful than the Garden of Eden. And what a day that will be! I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are too. But you know what the good news of the gospel is? It is that one day everything will be made whole. But it is also that that process has already begun. You see, the process of brokenness started in the Garden of Eden, but the process of wholeness started at the empty grave. Since Jesus rose from the dead, there's been a process of bringing people and communities and lives to wholeness. In Christ, we're forgiven and we're restored. We're made new. We're adopted into the family of God. We're sealed with the Spirit of God. We're healed. We're redeemed. We're set on a track, on a journey of purpose and meaning. Holiness is a then and now reality. We embrace it now and then we expect it with anticipation until that day. And nothing communicates better this truth than baptism. It is in baptism that, that we give witness that Jesus died in our place and he rose conquering death giving us a new beginning. It is in baptism that we give witness that we have died to sin and we have risen to a new life, a new beginning, a restoration to wholeness. It is in baptism that we proclaim that over and over and over again every time somebody experiences that. This Tuesday, uh, on Tuesdays, we have our young adults. They have their gathering, their worship service in our student center. And this Tuesday, one of the young adults uh, gave his life to Jesus and follow him in believer's baptism. He's right here with us, Luis Fonseca. Uh, Watch the video. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming? Do you believe that you've been forgiven of all of your sins because of the blood shed in the cross? Amen. So because of that confession of faith, Luis, I baptize you in the name of the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Congratulations, Luis. That the gospel changes our brokenness into wholeness. It, it does it in individuals' lives, like you and like me. He does it every day. People are giving witness to that. Have you have you allowed Christ to make you whole? Have you placed your faith in Him so that He can take your brokenness and heal it and restore? Who you're meant to be. Have you? Third and final, the gospel changes unbelief into faith. Everyone likes good news, especially in a world where we're bombarded with bad news, right? I, I, I want to think that everyone would prefer power over inability. That, that everyone would prefer wholeness over brokenness. And yet, The gospel doesn't seem to be owned by everyone. And we might even ask, is the gospel for everyone? Well, I would say yes and no. I'll I'll read the text again. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. To whom? To everyone who believes. See, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation, but this power requires a response. It's not that we have to add to what God has done for us. It's not that we add anything to what Jesus did on the cross. It is God who has provided that. He's made the perfect sacrifice. He's provided the perfect high priest. He's provided the perfect salvation. He's provided the power. He's the one that transforms our lives. It is all God in salvation, but it requires a response of faith, of believing, of trusting him. You see, the fall in the Garden of Eden had to do with unbelief. Adam and Eve didn't trust God. They didn't believe that what he said was true, and and so they chose to go another way. And, And for us to experience God's restoration, God's salvation, God's redemption, we need to reverse that. We need to go from unbelief to faith, to trust in him. The law was good, but didn't have the power to change the sinful humanity. Religion doesn't have the power to change the heart of a person. Coming to church can't change you from the inside out. All of your good deeds, all of your good intentions, all of your good beliefs and doctrines will not change you. Only the power of Christ can change you. John Stott said, for the essence of sin Is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Every time that we try to do something to save ourselves, it's really an act of unbelief. Every time that we want to help God, every time that we say, well, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus. I'm not going to get baptized because I need to get some things right in my life. You're you're saying, I don't trust God to be able to do that. And unbelief is sin. And, and, And so we put ourselves in the place that belongs to God. He is the Savior. We're the ones that need to be rescued. And we simply need to say, yes, yes. I believe. Yes, I receive it. Everyone who believes. That means that the worst sinner gets right with God by faith. And the person who thinks that they're super righteous can't get right with God unless they have faith and faith alone. The person who grew up in church like me requires faith to be right with God. The person who never knew about church, who who lives in a world far away from religion, needs the same faith to be right with God. Every girl, every boy, every man, every woman, every rich person, every poor person, regardless of nationality, of age, or ability, or education, it is faith and faith alone that can open us up to all the possibilities of salvation. Now, we must be careful that we don't misunderstand what the Bible means by belief. Some people, when they hear belief, they think about believing something with their mind, a, a mental assent of sorts. But when the Bible talks about belief, it's not that that it refers to. When the Bible talks about belief, it's talking about trust. It's talking about something that goes beyond mental assent. It, it has to do with the heart. About 14 years ago, my wife and I were uh, getting ready to make a mission trip to Spain. And uh, and as we were preparing to go with others, uh, my mother-in-law said that she wanted to accompany us. And we said, great, we'd love to have you. And uh, and she said to to my father-in-law, listen, I would really like to go with Julio and Monica to Spain. And I'd like for us to go. And my father-in-law says, you know, I don't get in airplanes which is really ironic because my father-in-law was airborne. He was a, a paratrooper in the U.S. Army. I don't know what happened when, when, when he was jumping out of planes. That Maybe one, he said, when I get out of the Army, I'm never going to get in an airplane again, maybe. But, but he said, he, he said to, to, uh, to my mother-in-law, he calls her honey. He said, honey, you know that I don't get in airplanes, and, and you can't get to Spain unless you get in an airplane. I guess you can get by boat, but that will be a long trip. Um. And she said, okay, I respect that, I understand that, but I would really like to go with Julio and Monica, so, so if you're willing to stay behind, I'm going to go with them. Now, I don't think my in-laws have ever spent a single day apart from each other. So the thought that my mother-in-law would go with us overseas and he would stay back was just scarier than getting an airplane. So he got himself an airplane ticket, and he got on that airplane, and he made the trip, and, and they had a good time as they were with us in Spain. And I thought about what that means. Because it's one thing for you to say, I believe that an airplane can go across the ocean and take people. That's that's mental ascent. It's another thing to get in the plane and trust the pilot and trust the mechanic and trust the designer of the airplane that it is able to get you to the other side. That's an act of trust. That's faith. So you can believe that there's a God You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross. Good, I'm glad you do. The devil believes the same thing, and you know where He is. It is not mental assent that opens us up for salvation, it is an act of trust, of saying, I believe your word, and I'm willing to stake not only my life on it, I'm willing to stake my eternity on it. I'm willing to stake everything on it. I trust your word gospel changes our unbelief into faith. Even if you have trouble believing, it is the gospel that helps you believe. Instead of trusting ourselves, we trust Christ. Instead of putting our faith in, in religion or in our own efforts, we trust in what he did at the cross. And when we do, the power of the gospel unleashes itself in our lives. The moment that you believe, the moment that you trust Christ, a miracle happens. It is the best miracle ever. Ever. It changes everything that happened at the Garden of Eden into something new, a new reality, a new possibility. And it is an opening to a life of faith. It is faith that allows you to enter, and it is faith that sustains you there. It is a door to the kingdom. It is a currency of the kingdom. Romans 1.17 tells us, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God's revelation, the righteousness of God, unfolding itself in our lives, in our community, in our world. We're going to talk about that the rest of this series. But Let me bring this to a close because I think I ran out of time. About 12 years ago, I met in person a man by the name of Federico Bertuzzi, uh, Argentinian, and I had read his books about missions and Mission Mobilization, and I was attending a missions conference in Bogota, Colombia, and uh, I saw him, and I, I went up to him, and I told him I had read his books, and I was so happy to meet him. And I had written an article for a missions journal, and I had extra copies, and I gave him one. And I wanted him to read it because I quoted him in it. And so he took it, he read it, he was excited, and he said, I understand you're, you're doing your dissertation on the history of this missions movement, and I said, I am. He says, "I want you to know that I was one of the founders of this movement, and I have a lot of documents that I'd like for you to see, but they're back in Argentina." He says, "Would you would you come and see them?" And I said, "I'd love to. Thank you for the invitation." And so I came back to McAllen and, and figured out how I could get back to South America. And, and, and in a couple of months, I, I I went to Argentina to Santa Fe, Argentina, where his house was. He received me. We had great meals. He made me Argentinan asado, which is like, oh man, it's just. Uh, beyond belief, uh, grill out, and and we had good fellowship. And he told me the story that that as a young man he had been on a ship, on an operation mobilization ship called Dulos, and he had caught this vision for missions for sharing the gospel. He traveled around the world, and he became so such a passion of his that he dedicated the rest of his life to encouraging others to go and to share this gospel, to share this message of salvation because he really believed that it would change everything. I saw him a few years ago and, and he was already very ill this past week. He died. And I thought about the fact that the salvation that he held so precious by faith now has become a reality. And that he is enjoying his wholeness, his full restoration. And I thought about how many hundreds and hundreds of people must have greeted him when he got to heaven and must have said to him, I'm here because of something you said. I'm here because of something you preached. I'm here because of something you wrote. And what a joy that must be to know that others have embraced the power of the gospel by believing. My question for you today is, have you believed? Have you trusted? Have you received this gift of God in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord so that he can change you? If he changed me, he can change you. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Would you bow your head for a minute? As you think about God's word, would you think about your response at this very moment? Maybe you're already a believer, and today what you need to do is rejoice in that faith, It's prepare your heart for communion. And make a commitment to live by faith every day. God still has things to change in your life and around you. And you need to trust him with that. But maybe you're here and, and you've never taken this step of faith. Maybe today is a day that you experience salvation. Today is a day you get born into the family of God. Just pray a prayer in your heart that says, I believe, I receive, I trust Jesus and all that he did for me whether you're in person or watching online, do that right now. Thank you for your word, God. We trust your spirit to be working in our hearts to respond by faith. In Jesus' name.